Welcome to Podshot, everyone. I'm Seb again, hosting for this week, and I've got a wonderful person sitting next to me. Uh, Manas is here. Manas, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So happy to be back again on the board. Let's just jump in with the Podshot question I have for this week. Um, Manas, what's the last series you binge watched? Oh, the last series I binged. I recently binged this short series uh, called Bodies on Netflix. I think it's an English one. Uh, it's on the classic time travel um, stuff. Yeah, but it's a good one. I've never heard of that before, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. Yeah, the reason I brought this up is because I'm a psychopath, and <laughs> once I get into a show uh, or just watch a few episodes, I'm I'm dragged into binge watching the entire thing. So. After watching the last season of Peaky Blinders, I went back and did a rewatch a few days ago. Watched Breaking Bad like three or four times. Binge watched the entire thing through. Um, I can understand. Yeah, true. Yeah, both of those are incredible. Yeah, I, I agree. Isn't Peaky Blinders supposed to have a last season coming up soon? Um, the last season was last year, I think. Um. As far as I know, they're planning on doing a movie to wrap everything up. Um, Though I'm not quite sure how that works because the last season is quite definitive, but we'll see how it goes. To jump back into the football, after the recent international break, Arsenal were back on an away trip to Brentford. Brentford decided to press really high and with intent, specifically at Aaron Ramsdale, who started his first league game since the last international break. Ramstead ended up giving the ball away in the six-yard box and it took a Declan Rice goal-line clearance to save us from going down in the 12th minute. Ramstead continued to be a bundle of nerves and the target of the Brentford press before settling into the game. Trossard scored towards the end of the first half after a wonderful clip ball by Saka to Jesus for a header, but the goal was ruled out for offside. Arsenal didn't create many clear-cut chances and had only four shots on target throughout the game and it took an 89th-minute header from Kai Havertz to give us the lead, after a sublime sucker cross towards the back post. That routine is quickly becoming our go-to weapon for finding goals in games. So that was a brief overview of uh, what we did against Brentford. And I suppose the, the first question is, because this performance was quite hard to analyze for me, I suppose the, the question I want to ask you is, was this a good performance in your opinion? I think in terms of how we've been this season, like if I close my eyes and I forget about the opposition and I think about an Arsenal game, this is probably what an average Arsenal performance would look like. So I'd say we were pretty average overall. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we, we've talked about the attacking struggles we've had this season quite a lot and this game just seemed to be a continuation of that. Though I think one of the interesting factors is that Brentford is one of the first teams that actually pressed us quite intently in a few phases, which is interesting and something that we've talked about as one of the perhaps blocking factors of us not being as good offensively as we should be, that a lot of teams were sitting back. And so with that, I think having a team that was intent on pressing us high was an interesting thing in that the attacking struggles did continue somewhat. I mean, how how did you see that? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I didn't think about that. But during my rewatch, uh, I think their entire intent was to get Ramsdale, get at Ramsdale, and force us to go long, long down the channels. But once we, if, if we did get the second ball and if we did be, beat the press, uh, they would just settle into their block very quickly. And I feel... 
one we didn't you know look to build through the back as much as we should have maybe and as good as we are at doing that i don't i don't remember like i've watched the game twice and i don't think we did that enough because once rams ramsdale has had his first 15 15 20 minutes of nerves and when he was like more settled he just decided to go long more often than not uh and when we did play through them on a few occasions because we didn't have a target man like we just like he was aiming for hisus and probably at times trossard was dropping deep in the center to receive but i don't think we play through them at all uh at least not as much as i would have liked but there we like and like the other side of this is we did create transition events let's say let's call them and i i wish we would have taken more advantage of that like i i wish like we had more intent uh in those transitional moments i think the lineup gives us quite a few interesting things to talk about because it was quite a bit of a surprise when the team news dropped um i think the first thing we should talk about is the selection of eights we had in this game uh udegor returned after injury up and next to him wasn't rice as in the last couple of games it was leandro trossard with rice dropping back into the six what i suppose what were your general thoughts on why we did that and why we selected those players in particular and how did that work out um i think odegaard needed a game to get back and this is probably the one where he was fresh and uh, he was like he's probably ready to go play uh, i don't think he had the best game uh, by his standards i think he was pretty average again uh, as he has been uh, in this season ongoing but left eight i i really like prosart i think him as a profile in the left eight is something i want to see more of and i know you guys discussed this in the last episode as well um yeah i i would like to see more of him there and as games go by i am starting to lose faith in the kai havertz experiment and the left it like i'm starting to lose faith faith in it like i need to see something happen there otherwise didn't you just see something happen there manas he was a, like when he came on in the 80th minute he was a striker like he he was not the left eight fair yeah Um I I thought it was quite an interesting uh coincidence that the week after Alex and I had talked about uh Trossard in the left eight Arteta immediately got us evidentiary pictures of how that would look which you know was interesting. Um and what's also interesting is sort of the the consequences that had on the rest of the team. Although we weren't in a settled block that much what is true is that through Trossard not really being a good pivot option in the settled block defensively more often than not it was Odegaard dropping back in there and Trossard taking up a higher position also in possession we see we saw a lot more Odegaard dropping instead of uh, Trossard dropping um <clears throat> so that's one thing and the other i think is something we've discussed was the dynamics we had with Kai Havertz involved in the right eight and how he sort of dovetailed with Saka in that in those zones um going back to the Odegaard uh dynamics basically 
Did you think that had a tangible effect on Saka's performance generally, or is it more to do with how Brentford played us? Because although he did save us in the end, Saka was quite quiet throughout 90 minutes. Yeah, I think Saka... I'm, I'm going to say say this because he he already has nine goals and assists in, in 12 games, but it feels like he's not he's not hit his stride yet, which is quite a statement to make when you see the numbers. And it's a good thing uh, for Arsenal and for him. Uh, but keeping Saka aside, uh, we, we saw Odegaard back, but he was the nominal eight. Like he was the dropping uh, center mid next to Rice, right? Yeah. And Brentford, they made sure that they had they went man to man, like five people man to man high up. They didn't want us receiving in the center. And Jesus's job was to pin the back line, and it was Trossard who would you know drop into the spaces that were created. Although we, we barely picked him out, I, I think once or twice in the first half. Uh, otherwise, we just like wanted to go long. I think it didn't create like we didn't create enough central progression opportunities or you know we couldn't receive and turn and face so I think and I, I don't even remember Odegaard getting the ball or like you know receiving so I think his job was to basically pin and drag his marker out uh, so that we could find the space in between and that's where my the point that I was making about attacking uh, t- transitions, like Amstel would just drop the ball between in in that space between Brentford's backline and when Odegaard and Rice have sort of pulled their midfield uh, into our final third. Uh, I, I don't think that we exploited that enough. Like, there needs to be more intent from us to exploit those those timing, uh, you know, uh, those dynamics more. I think on Saka having a relatively quiet season, even despite his output, I think it's fair to say that, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of that is down to our general lack of incision, if that makes sense. That in open play, we, we find Saka and Martinelli in points quite wide and they have to do a lot of work to do to, to get into uh, good attacking positions. Um. But what it also shows is that Saka is just the offensive difference maker this team has. And I think that output, despite the attacking woes, we've we've had an, an attack that is still right around mid-table in terms of offensive output, um, is, is a testament to, to his quality. Um, and speaking of difference makers, um, another player who had quite a big difference to make in this game was Declan Rice who dropped back into the six, which I think is a sensible move considering Brentford are a team that does like to attack in transition and create transition moments offensively. And having our best transition stopper deeper in midfield is probably the best way to go in that <clears throat> in that dynamic. Um, what, what did you make of him overall? I think standard Declan Rice performance again, but... You know, you can't really. I think I think that's I think that's an understatement of how good he was this game. I I really think he he was a level above quite a few players in terms of his impact on the game. Yeah, like his goal line clearance. Obviously, he's like that's an outsized impact on the game. But I'm starting to feel because he looks great in uh, comparison to how our other midfielders are playing, and probably how we're transitioning from attack to defense or from defense to attack. 
बट आई आई हैव स्टार्टिंग टू गेट दिस फीलिंग दैट राइस नीड्स एन इनेबलर समबडी इन मिडफील्ड दैट कैन हेल्प टेक अ प्लेयर ऑफ ऑफ हिम सो दैट ही कैन रिसीव एन टॉन यू नो आई थिंक द मैनेजर आई डोंट नो एट वॉट पॉइंट मिकेल इज गोट डिसाइड दैट ही नीड्स टू गिव राइस मोर रिस्पॉन्सिबिलिटी टू स्टार्ट पिनिंग इन द सेंटर एंड रिसीविंग बैक टू वर्ल्ड like i want to see him do that because i feel that he can do that but it just feels like we're mitigating risks at this point like he like mikel is probably like holding something back uh, or he feels that there's a hole in the squad and we just need to be more safe so like as lo- as much as i love rice i i want to see more from him you know i, I don't want to see him receive in the back line turn and then just you know progress from there yeah i i think when we talk about as we have a few times talk about transition seasons and sort of things that we are transitioning this season um rice's sort of development in that scenario is one of the things that is probably most likely to develop considering i i think it's a trade off in so far that when you have players that are significantly better than him at receiving deep and turning i.e. Jorginho and when in the two or three games he's fit Thomas Partey um you probably take that over having him there against opponents that are keying in on on those moments and are developing defensive schemes that sort of try to take advantage of those things and especially considering his versatility in being able to play higher up being able to drive with the ball like few players having him play different roles in different scenarios is probably a good thing in the short term while also having the scope of developing him into a nominal player i.e. the starting six long term so i'm not really worried about that yet I, it was always apparent that that was going to be a long term thing uh, but yeah when that will happen is 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 another issue entirely no you're right i think uh my expectation is more from that and like i know we know that it's a long term prospect of him like creating that profile of him of being d6 um but that also sort of underpins his current abilities like you probably also want to play him eight at times right you want him receiving and driving uh trying to break down blocks uh with his dribbling ability uh you want to see him take more risks uh but i'm 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 probably sort of jumping the gun with what i said earlier uh but i do still want to see you know i want to see him uh, he's already somebody people want to man mark and when he receives in the back line somebody's going to press him obviously but i want to say i want to see him be that player in in our midfield where the midfielder doesn't want to receive let him receive and the strikers also are trying to cover shadow you know so the, that outsized uh, gravitational presence in the middle which then opens up your you know the channels into your age and that's how you look like, start playing more progressive football so i mean yeah maybe i'm jumping the gun on on declan rice a little bit yeah i i mean i'm i'm still pretty much of the opinion that's a long term aim we're going for and especially considering we don't really have a second phase eight profile as such he will have to moonlight there a lot this season if we don't get one in january he probably will have to do that the whole season on and off but yeah i think once the the pieces around him are settled 
we will see a bit more development on him in that regard as well. Um, but the last, uh, the last lineup decision I wanted to discuss before we get into sort of the, the tactical meats of this is uh, Tomiyasu starting at right back over Ben White. It's an interesting decision in so far that White has basically played at right back every time he's been available. But do, do you think it is more down to White not playing this game, i.e. Tomiyasu having specific qualities that suit Brentford more than White? Or more the case that Tomiyasu has established himself as such that in a game where we want Zinchenko, we also want Tomiyasu somewhere, so we're going to put him at right back? I feel maybe in the dynamics of his, of this game where we didn't see a fullback in word, right? We didn't see Shinchenko in word at all this game. I feel because we want to make the pitch bigger. And I think in that sense, um, perhaps he preferred Tomias as a more defensive option. But I, I think like I don't see a clear tactical uh, decision-making process here to pick him over White. I think it may be just, just be like a rotational thing. And because Tomiyasu's been playing pretty well in recent games. Uh, but then in terms of what he gives us, he is somebody who's going to make the underlap. And De- uh, Sorry, I said Declan, but I, uh, White is probably not going to do that. He's the one who goes outside more. Uh, maybe there was a re- uh, there is something there because... In this game, we had a lot of overloads on the right side. And he, if you go and watch it back, Saka, there are like, he's inside a lot more. Like He's in the half space a lot more. And Tomias is the one who's holding width when we have like controlled possession in the, in the final third. So maybe there's something there, but I don't see any very clear tactical decision. What do you think? I think when I saw it, it made quite a lot of sense to me. And I think it goes along the lines of what we've seen in... Arteta's decision-making quite a few times over the last two seasons in that when we do play without a nominally inverting fullback, um, we do tend to use Tomiyasu there. We did the same against Manchester City at the Emirates last year. We did it a few times before. Um, so, so that's one thing in that Tomiyasu has a, quite a bit of flexibility in his positioning according to where the other players are standing when we don't sort of use Ben White as the right-sided central defender in the three and Sinchenko as the pivot in midfield, if if that makes sense. Um, And the other thing is just that I think Tomiyasu is slightly ahead of White in terms of channel defending and a team that plays long in in that way and sort of tries to exploit those channels in transition with with Mbuemo and Buisa. I think having Tomiyasu there is just a, a good mitigating factor to to trying to negate Brentford. So I think that made sense generally. Yeah, so form and his more defensive-minded, you know, nature, playing style. So, yeah. Yeah. And and just his, his, his flexibility and positioning as well. Like, with his technical makeup, he's able to receive basically anywhere on the field. And so he is always, I, I, I said this last week as well, a sort of backfiller for us, wherein... If you have dynamics that these players are going here and some players move into other positions like we're trying to get Saka more centrally, 
we can use Tomiyasu as a as a backfiller who gets into those areas, is able to receive in basically any area, and not lose as much quality. So I think having him as a, a tactically intelligent and and multifaceted player there in a build-up scheme that isn't quite as set as it is in in other games was sensical to me. Yeah. We've already discussed this a bit, but this game had an interesting tactical wrinkle in that we didn't have a inverted fullback as such. I is as in we we weren't constantly positioning one of our fullbacks, normally Zinchenko, in the nominal pivot role next to Rice the entire game or in, in most phases of the game. We were building out quite a lot in, in a sort of 4-1-ish type build-up structure, which is interesting considering the position we're playing and Brentford as a team that sort of defends in a 5-3-2, meaning they normally leave about two up front. That's an interesting contrast, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why we did that. Do you have any prevailing thoughts? Yeah, I so I haven't followed Brentford a lot this season, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm not sure whether they press up high a lot the way that they did us, because I think they came out with a plan when they saw Ramsdale on the team sheet. Uh, but not uh, regardless of that, I think we expected. I don't think we expected to be pressed up. So that's one of my theories. So if they were not going to press us and do a mid block. Uh, probably we wanted just one, one single pinner in Rice mm-hmm. and we wanted to make the pitch bigger. In that sense, uh, since they were going to be a back five, we would have spaces to play into the channels. And pretty easily around there, you know, 3-2 or 4-1, whatever they decided to do in the mid block. So that's one of the theories where I feel that we didn't invert. Uh, and secondly, I feel... It's got something to do with Tomiyasu playing and White not playing uh, in terms of we potentially wanted to be defensively more solid uh, in the center of the field. And, you know, since we we don't progress, we haven't done a lot of central progression this season and we have to drop our pivots out of, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the block to receive and then progress. So... I, f- I think that there's something there, but I can't like really nail it down in terms of the tact, in terms of what might have been the tactical preference for this game, because when was the last time you actually saw Odegaard being the nominal center center mid, like him dropping so deep to bring a midfielder up with him? So I think that was a. Dis- I think the last time we saw that was Bournemouth away, this season. Yes, so uh, w- one game this season, right? Yeah, because otherwise we've either rotated somebody into the middle of the pitch, or we've had like two center mids playing uh, in the four-two. Uh, yeah, so I think that's something that may have been a decision that happened during the game. Like so that's a, the game management thing. Yeah, so I think that's my two theories. I don't think it was as much of a surprise to us that they were pressing us highly because that's what they normally do against everyone they're playing and insofar that they're really good at pressing from goal kicks and then retreating into their settled defensive block. What my thinking was is that when we were building out deep, we were usually using someone else as the nominal central center back 
in so far that either Ramsdale was pushing up into the middle of the back three or Declan Rice was going down into the back three. And against a 5-3-2, so mid-block basically, let's call it, the space, the, the free space is usually outside of the two strikers. So I think the, the sort of general idea was to have Sinchenko and Tomiyasu outside their block receiving in, in the sort of deep half spaces and then going from there. And instead of having them more centrally, having the, the first receivers a bit wider and then moving into more wide combinations and going from there. That was sort of my theory on wh- why we were using this specific build-up structure for them. Yeah, so that makes sense uh, because if... So, like I said, I haven't followed them a lot this season. Uh, so if they do press high from the goal kicks, I think it would have made sense to drop somebody in the center to sort of receive. But maybe Arita decided to risk mitigate this game, like we've already sort of theorized, uh, where I think he felt Ramsell is starting his first game after a while, and we, we don't want to take that risk, and he, they're going to anyway try and push us out wide, so having the fullback high and wide, like that's a natural you know pass to make for the, for the left center back, so yeah, I mean that, that makes sense. I think we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about lovely things like the attack. Did it work? How did it work? And why did Kai Harvard score after this? And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that sweet, jazzy jingle. What I think stood out this game was a tendency to use the right-hand side quite a lot and getting a lot of players into those positions, overloading there, dropping Jesus on the right-hand side and getting Saka involved, Udegaard, uh, Tomiyasu, and Trossard occasionally pulling out there as well. Do you think that was a specific plan or a correlation of profiles involved? Yeah, um, I think like as a general theme, I think like if Odegaard starting, Saga starting, we we will drift towards the right hand side, and because like we don't have a functional left hand side, that's a big that's the major part of the re- the reason why we go there. And once the ball starts going there, your striker is going to start dropping towards the towards his left to our right hand side. So I think that's probably eighty eighty five percent of the season reason why that happens. And we had like heavy overloads on that side because. Uh, Brentford did not engage us in in the middle. We had really heavy overloads on the uh, right hand side towards the edge of the box. But again, like this brings me to uh, to something that's irked me in, uh, this season in our attack, uh, and that's the fact that we we don't show enough inten- intent in, in when we do get at the edge of the box, right? I know our numbers for uh, box entries is probably more or less the same as much as last season. But I think in this game, it was slightly lower. And as a trend, our attacking numbers are slightly lower this season. Um, so I think that there's a lack of intent, notwithstanding other things uh, which we have discussed on this spot at length multiple times. But in this game, we saw Tomiyasu out wide, we saw Saka out wide, we saw Tomiyasu as, as, as the 8 at times with uh, Odegaard in possession underneath. Uh, we saw Saka as the 8. 
um, and we saw you know Jesus dropping and just to play the wall pass. But we we've got to start exploiting those uh, combinations and uh, we've got to start playing a bit more faster. I think we move the ball slightly slower, uh, even when we're doing the whole U-shaped switch towards the left. I think it happens slightly slower. We need to be more, you know, play with more intent and exploit the underlapping runs a little more. I think the goals uh, once we start getting in the box in those situations I think the goals will start coming uh for us this season. I th- I think a lot of the the tempo things in in passing are deliberate to sort of maximize territorial control and being high up the pitch and not forcing verticality to which then would lead to giveaways. Though I agree with a sort of general lack of intent in when we are in those positions at getting players into the box and getting them into the box with a, a sense of oomph about them, if that makes sense. Um, but what was interesting in the last few weeks is that we have been using slightly different methods of chance creation. And I think this game was a good sort of was a good sort of benchmark in that most of the good chances we did create were one down to us overloading one side and sort of playing around, getting them to draw in one side and then switching out the other side, one, as well as just getting them drawn out a few meters and then play, exploiting the space in behind through chip passes, chip crosses, sort of half space crosses, etc. And most of our good attacks did stem from those situations. If you look at the uh, Jesus goal that we scored, not the Jesus goal, but the Jesus chance before the goal, uh, as well as quite a few other good scenarios where we were able to get shots off. It's either a direct consequence of us playing those balls, uh, those those clip balls in behind, or a second phase thing where they were able to block the initial cross and we were able to have someone on the edge pick up the second ball and then get a shot off there. So I think that's an interesting development in that we are starting to use the those types of situations quite a lot more. Yeah, I think we have two or three different ways and rota- uh, automatisms in attack how we create. But the most outsized one is the chip balls and the deep crosses. Uh, I think we've, we've created fair amount of goals, and teams know that they're gonna that we're gonna do this. And in fact, I think uh, Thomas uh, Frank he he spoke about this after the game uh, that they have they had prepared for the deep crosses, the one which we scored from uh, but it's so difficult to s- stop right those those balls if you get them right they are really difficult to stop uh, and especially if uh, your player gets on the end of it uh, because of how they how they're played and like where they're played so that's one like i think we have gotten pretty good at using runs from our eights and strikers to pu- push the defensive line deeper to sort of create a decompression in the block of the defense to empty space in the half spaces to create that those those crosses right so that's something that we probably explicitly work on uh, in, at, in the training ground and the second one is which we're seeing lesser of this season i would like to see more because that's where we'll score we'll score more goals 
I feel is those are the cutbacks, right? I, th- I think we've scored a fair amount of goals last season from situations like that, and I think that sort of also comes uh, in the territory of your wingers, uh, you know, having the intent to take on uh, their fullback inside the box or just slightly outside the box. So those are the two ones that I feel uh, are our main go-to's. But yeah, but I think like I said, I was saying, uh, you said like we're slow in moving the ball in the final third because we want more control. Uh, but I know, I know that teams are going to de- defend us deep this season, and they're going to double up on our, on our wingers. So we've got to move it a little faster. We've got to play the bounce passes a little faster. I think. Yeah. I think I think that's sort of goes hand in hand in that yeah you want to control higher up and control territory, but once you are in a position where you're able to exploit a gap that you've created, then the execution has to be a lot better. And I, th- I think that's where we're aiming to to get a bit more improvement. Um, I, I think your your point on the way we prepare these sort of uh, half space cross situations is interesting. In that a lot of it is also down to how much personnel you're able and willing to put into the box. And what's interesting then is that we we already talked about overloading the right-hand side. And a lot of our best attacking sequences then ended in Zinchenko on the, in the left-hand half-space. Whipping those half-space crosses in to a right-hand side that is overloaded and well-structured enough to take advantage of those situations. So... 100% those are coached moves and sort of coached scenarios. Another thing that supports that is that our goal scorer, Kai Havertz, said that that move, specific move that led to the goal is something they worked on quite heavily. Actually called it a routine they're working on on the training ground. So, yeah. Um, I just want to quickly single out Sinchenko in generally for having an immaculate game. Um, yeah, I think it, it, defensively he was great, except that one moment where he had to like he like it's it's so it's sort of very typical of him where he controls a ball on his chest and in the same move he passes it with his left foot and then he loses it, which leads to a Brentford header which would have gone in, but he's he's on the goal line and he's clearing on the goal line again. So I think yeah. When Zinchenko plays really well, I think yeah, we sort of flow as a team, and he's uh, you know a, a big reason why our LHS seems functional, uh, even though we have fewer players on the left hand side in possession, uh, especially when Jesus is playing a striker and Trossard is the eight link. Just speaking of this game, where you know you have sort of have to fill the gaps. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, he 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 will also make the underlaps, but we just don't find him enough. Like you know, if if you get Zinchenko in the box, he's gonna create a very pretty good cutback for you. And uh, like he he get, he whips the ball from the left half space into the box pretty well as well. So uh, pretty Shaka esque in those deliveries where I think Trossard could have scored, and even Odegaard uh, with you know he he tried that scorpion sort of kick. Which he should have probably left for Tomia. So, so yeah, I think he, he when he plays well, he plays well. But you know, there are times when he's gonna let you down as well. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Shaka esque because it was Brentford away, I think as well. 
last season where one of Shaka's half space crosses led to led to a goal from Jesus, uh, I think it was. Just quickly on on Sinchenko as well, something that has gone under my radar. Um, someone on Twitter uh, pointed out that Sinchenko, by the numbers, has improved greatly defensively from last season. He's up 1.28 tackles and interceptions per game, plus 5% in dual wins, minus 0.4 for dribbles passed, and minus 2.74 possession lost. So that, that improvement is quite drastic, I think, and something that completely went over my mind when, when watching him this season. I feel I haven't seen him make many mistakes this season in defense, even though it feels like like there's a perception around him and maybe he's read that or maybe he's... I think I think that's a crucial thing that we perceive him in a way that once he does make a mistake it sticks out a lot more than with other players. Yeah, and well. and that sort of happens when you've like made a few mistakes, right? Your your mistakes seem to stick out. Um like there's a good side discussion to have on this in terms of goalkeepers as well. Because if you regularly watch Liverpool or City, their goalkeepers will will make the same mistakes that Raya and Ramsdale have, right? But they go unnoticed mostly because, you know, that it comes with the territory of how you play. But in terms of left-back and Sinchenko, I think his role and his responsibilities are such where he will sort of get exploited at times in, in the behind, you know, on his wing. Uh, yeah, he tends to make mistakes, but it's great to, you know, hear about the numbers. Like he's sort of probably he's been made aware, or he's probably read Twitter where he's made made aware of his defensive numbers, and he's sort of like, okay, you know, like I, I I'm gonna be better at defending this season. And we are generally, you know, we've uh, I was reading some somebody's uh, tweet uh, this morning where. If if we stay on the same defensive track, we'll concede eleven less goals in the league. And eleven goals less is a huge like that's like outsized. That's yeah, that's massive. Yeah. And sort of pointing to what we've talked about all season is that our biggest our biggest increase this season has been our out of possession structure and the players we put in those structures in that we're buying personnel and we're getting personnel that sort of does a lot better in those scenarios to make us as good defensively as we can be. Yeah. Um, which also comes back to the Zinchenko thing in that I think part of the reason his defensive numbers look a lot better than they do last season is that we've sort of taken him out of scenarios where he's able to be exploited. Like in in games where we expect him to be a bit more unbalanced we we tend to go for Tomiyasu there and sort of take him out of that out of the firing line which i think is also part of the reason why those numbers look better than they did last season i think as a final point considering the ver- varied personnel we've played there this season and the name of the goal scorer for the winning goal i think we should talk a bit about the eights and not just the eights in general but how we move going forward the pecking order is pretty open, I think, in terms of what each individual gives us in specific roles. But <clears throat> I suppose, have you seen a a core developing on who would play where in, in any given game? Or are we still in a sort of finding phase 
for those players i think the left eight spot is pretty much open for anybody who wants to take it right now because i don't i don't think rice is somebody who's going to play that long term we know that he's not going to play that long term um starting to lose faith in kai havertz on the left eight even even though like i was a big i was so excited because i thought he would be the technical person who would you know sort of take over from shaka and he was like fit seamlessly maybe after a little bit of a tech, uh, settling period but his profile seems suited to be the guy who comes on like just basically what he did in this game right at the end towards the end um i will say on in his defense i watched kai three times in the last week as i unfortunately sat through both germany games and i think it's beginning to be a theme that he looks a lot more engaged fluent and sort of technically adept he seems to have found himself a bit more and sort of gained a rhythm and not just a rhythm in general but a rhythm in different roles he's played like over the past five weeks in terms of newcastle away burnley the two germany games and this game he's played two games at right eight two games as a left wing back a nagelsmann left wing back which is basically a wide player that drifts inside for crosses and defense the left hand side in settled defense only and then this game coming on as a sort of left eight striker hybrid thing where we just throw him on to get a goal and in each role he has looked comfortable and assured and just confident within himself so i think if there is a time to drop your harvard stocks i really don't think it's right now yeah i i think it's one of those things where the coach trusts you and just to fill holes when wherever there's possible but like i said in the left eight i think it's pretty much open if he wants it and if he's willing to work i think it's it's maybe it's also a confidence thing with him so if he's willing to you know just keep stick with it he might be he might get better and like he might consistently start games at left eight uh, but you've also got to play trossard right and you can't really drop martinelli so you've got to play trossard at left eight or you got to play him and play him at number 9 so yeah i think it's more of a squad thing where our squad is more rotational this season except a few undroppables right our spine is probably more undroppable including uh, not including sack of course in the spine uh, yeah i think it's one of those things but i feel i would like somebody more technical in there because i'm okay with odegaard as the right eight and i'm now probably more open to seeing him on the left eight as well because like how do the dynamics look like when he does play left eight i know people have talked about this and we've also explored the possibility on this podcast uh so it would be pretty nice to see how he does and what sort of angles open up for him when he does play play there uh so yeah i mean there are options but again like it's it's pretty open on the left side yeah The funny thing is that we have been talking about the Saka cross to the back post for Havertz to head in basically since the moment he got here. So to finally see that come to fruition and him to score off that is is a really nice feeling. Um and I think the saving grace for Kai in playing in the left eight role is seeing for me personally at least is seeing Odegaard 
more willing slash more instructed to play deeper and sort of drop to be the second receiver. Because if, if that dynamic sort of finds itself and we have Harvard's in a position where, yes, he's not as comfortable as in the right-hand side, but is starting to gain a bit more rhythm. And <clears throat> if you look at the Germany game specifically, he does look a lot more assured and secure in tight spaces on the left-hand side as well. And if we then add to that the ability to find him from those crosses and sort of get that routine down more, I think what we gain from him in those positions, while not being an every game thing where we can have Rice there in some games and we can have Havertz there in some games and we can even have Emil Smith-Rowe if he ever sees the light of earth again in those in that in that role but I, th- I think the positive impact of that would be such that we see that as a genuine possibility once again if we get those dynamics with Odegaard right and if we, we, we can really settle on the attacking dynamics as we have them right now that's my little pledge for Kai Havertz as a fellow German. Yeah, no, I, I see sense in that as well. Um, yeah, but I, as an overall more general thing, I think the squad's becoming more and more rotational. I think there is very clear reaction to last season and the fact that we're in the Champions League this season. So I'm I'm looking forward to the second half where maybe Hardet is slightly holding back and he has something in mind probably for the January window where he prob- wants to bring in one other person because party is pretty much vanished from the face of the earth like he's just not there this season. Uh, so yeah, I think let's see how Jan goes and whether we uh, sort of click into gear towards the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the January window will be pretty telling in terms of how Ateta plans the squad long term. But I think that's enough of that for now. Um, thank you, Manas, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what we're doing and want to contribute to it, you can rate and review this podcast on each platform you use to consume these podcasts. If you want to find any of us from the Podshot crew on Twitter, all our links are in the description. The music is made by James W. Blake, and you can find him at JW Blake on Spotify. We will be back next week to talk about Arsenal once more. But until then, thank you and goodbye.